Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Lord's Day. We thank You that it is a day where we have assembled to worship You in spirit and in truth. And as we consider the truth of Your Word and the doctrines that come from it, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our study on baptism today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I did last week is I went back to a question um, that I found always curious, and I would imagine that you have too, and that's the question is, where did baptism come from? Um, Sometimes it is easy to read the Gospels and think that uh, out of the middle of nowhere, uh, baptism occurs and that that John was was doing something that was uh, unknown and radically new. And and, and maybe he was doing something, quote-unquote, radically new, uh, but he was not doing anything that was unknown. Um, we see baptism throughout the Old Testament, and I walked us through that last week. Uh, and, of course, as I alluded to last week as well, uh, Hebrews points to the ceremonial aspects of baptism that we see within the Old Testament. But... In the New Testament, what we see is the conclusion of the Old Testament picture, which concluded with John's baptism, and we see the New Testament issuing forth this sign and this seal. And of course, that's language uh, taken from Romans chapter 4.11, where the Apostle Paul is talking about circumcision and Abraham, and that circumcision was an outward sign. It was a seal, and we understand that to be the same as in the New Covenant with the sacrament of baptism. And so what was once the mark of God's Old Covenant people, that is circumcision, is no longer required. And again, we we looked at last week, Acts chapter 15, Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 6. Circumcision has ceased as a covenant sign of God's people. And so we say then baptism supersedes circumcision as the mark of God's new covenant people. And so understanding that, and and that's the basis uh, of our belief, then you can understand why our shorter catechism, and I think I've got this printed on your handout, shorter catechism question number 94 asks what is baptism, and the answer is given. Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost doth signify and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and of our engagement to be the Lord's. Now, there's a lot there in that one answer, as you would expect, uh, in our shorter catechism. And so I want to uh, unpack that and look at that in a little bit greater detail today under the, the heading of what is baptism. Now, since the baptism is the mark of God's covenant people under the new covenant, as circumcision was under the the old, again, it is helpful for us to go back just briefly to what we looked at last week, and that's Romans chapter 4, verse 11, in which it says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. 
Now, there are a couple of important words there uh, for us, and again, our, our catechism uh, points these out, but you'll want to remember at least these two <clears throat> words as we look at baptism today, and that is the word sign and the word seal. Circumcision for Abraham was a sign that pointed back to Abraham's justification before God. It was an outward sign that he was marked by God as his covenant child. Circumcision, as Paul makes clear, did not make Abraham God's covenant child. He didn't receive circumcision and then, aha, finally, he got the mark. Now, He's God's child. No, that's not the case. It marked him as such as an outward sign of an inward reality. In other words, what had happened within him, the new birth, the regeneration by the Holy Spirit, by faith, what had happened to him inwardly, the circumcision was marking him. It was an outward sign of that inward reality for Abraham. Circumcision was also a seal. And again, the, the idea here is to think of it as an imprint. So if you think about it uh, in, in the era in which an envelope might have had uh, wax poured on it and then a seal or an insignia of a ring, um, that the, the root word of that, of that, or rather the root of that word in Greek is that idea. It's an imprint. It's a, a seal. And so in that sense, circumcision was, as the Apostle Paul describes it, a seal or an imprint. Uh, in other words, it was a guarantee confirming the promises of God's covenant with him. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he says, ah, now I'm giving you this sign and this seal of my covenant with you. Now, if you think about this in terms of the New Covenant, as the mark of the New Covenant, baptism serves in the very same way. It is a sign and it is a seal of God's New Covenant through the finished work of Christ. Through the work of Christ, we can say that baptism then is a rite of washing or cleansing in water, that is, that is commanded by the Lord Jesus Himself to be a sign and seal of the inward washing of our sins and thus of being counted righteous in God's sight only through faith in Christ. Again, I want to read to you what our Shorter Catechism says, what baptism is, and based on what I've said now, think as I read it slowly about what it's conveying. Baptism is a sacrament. Now remember, we've already studied that. We've already looked at a sacrament is that which is instituted by Christ alone, given to His church, wherein the, with the washing with water, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, doth signify, so there's the sign, and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. Now, we're going to look at that in greater detail uh, next week as well. In fact, uh, one of the questions that comes up in a Presbyterian church is, who should be baptized? 
And because as Presbyterians, we practice infant baptism, many people have questions about that. I'm not getting to that today. So you'll have to wait until next week, but we will cover that next week under the question of who should be baptized and and also, of course, the question of why. But as far as looking at this question and an answer in the Shorter Catechism and what it's telling us about this sign and the seal, what I want to do is I want to look at four points, four points of baptism of what Scripture tells us about it. And so, again, I'm, I'm taking, uh, so to speak, what the Catechism is saying. I'm breaking it down into these four things, but instead of looking at it from a bullet point standpoint of the Shorter Catechism, I'm just going to draw from the Word. So the first point that I want us to consider is that baptism signifies cleansing from sin. Baptism signifies cleansing from sin. As our salvation includes spiritual cleansing, so baptism provides the imagery of it. And this is pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, again, and ne- next week I'm also going to, to get into modes of baptism. People have questions about, about Im- immersion, pouring, sprinkling, and, and I'll talk about that next, next week. But regardless of the mode of baptism, the imagery conveyed is cleansing. Now, if you go back to last week, to our class last week, in each of the verses that I read to you uh, in summary from the Old Testament, each one of them, at least we could say, in summary, was imagery. I don't, there's, in fact, I don't think there's any argument about that. But furthermore, and specific to the ones that addressed Imagery for a priest, the idea was ritual cleansing for the priest to go in and minister in the temple. And again, the later verses, if you go back to my notes from last week, the later verses, of course, spread out from that. But at least just in those, but certainly in all of them, the imagery of cleansing was there. The Apostle Paul says in writing to the Corinthians, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to just read to you a, 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 a few verses, or actually one verse, but the whole context is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Uh, does the word washed, is Paul referring to baptism when he says you were washed? No. Is he referring to their daily bath? No. Was he referring to a shower or a swimming pool dunk or anything like that? No. It, it's metaphorical language, isn't it? He's saying you were washed, meaning what? Meaning that you were cleansed. You were cleansed from your sin, and so forth and so on. Or, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 25 to 26, Paul's talking, and, and, and he's, he's get, it's the part where he's talking about uh, husbands and wives and their relationship, and it's the greater context of the family within the church. But then he says this, Husbands, love your wives, 
as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Now again, note the imagery that Paul is using here. He uses first the word of cleansing, then he incorporates the imagery of washing with water. Now again, he goes forward and and the prepositional phrase then attaches the word to that, right? So we know the context. The context he's talking about Christ, the Holy Spirit working in the Word of God. But Paul is using this imagery, perhaps, although not emphatically, perhaps with a hat tip to baptism, but certainly the imagery of water. Certainly the imagery of cleansing here. And so no one has any doubt about it. Aha! The idea is is that in Christ we have been cleansed, like cleansing from water. And then in Titus... He says that Christ saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And again, that that word translated here as regeneration is where we get the concept of born again. Regenerate, to be birthed again, to be born again, and the renewal, that is the renewed, the life-giving that we receive through the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ. Now, in each of these examples, and I could give you more, but in each of these examples that I've, I've given you in your notes from 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, and Titus, each of these is teaching us that in Christ we are cleansed of our sins. And imagery of that cleansing is water. Therefore, when we are baptized or when we witness a baptism, we are seeing a picture. Just as like when when we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper today. In our, in our worship service, which obviously I'll go into in the coming uh, weeks. But, but we are seeing something depicted. There is imagery that has significance. Well, that is certainly the case in baptism. And it's why our shorter catechism and in our tradition, why we put such an emphasis on the church being present at a baptism. Because a baptism is preaching. We are looking at it and, and at least, in my point number one, at least we should see, although we should see more, at least we should see the picture of cleansing. The significance of cleansing from sin. Point number two. Actually, let me read this quote. I thought this was good. Uh, Guy Richard, in his book on baptism, says, As water applied to the body cleanses the outward person of all physical dirt and defilement, so the blood of Jesus cleanses the inward soul of the spiritual dirt and defilement of sin. Well, if, if that was the sermon preached every time you witnessed a baptism, that's a good sermon, right? To see that and the imagery, the significance of the blood of Jesus cleansing us. So that's the first thing that we see in baptism. The second thing that we see is that it signifies the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus referred to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts as a 
baptism. Isn't that interesting? He said this, this baptism is to occur. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 5, it says, For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And, and so, so, simply put, we see baptism and we see an image. An image conveying significance, not just of cleansing, but also of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit, however, is not separate from, but essential to Christian salvation. And whom? The Holy Spirit. We receive all the benefits of Christ, as our catechism puts it. And so the imagery is not of a delay or a second blessing or another happening, but, but the imagery is one of baptism occurring that is tantamount to, it's a picture of what God is doing through the Holy Spirit. Again, the, the idea here is, as Paul's writing in Romans chapter 8, is that you are not in the flesh, he says, but you're in the Spirit. So all who are in Christ... You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So all who are in Christ receive the Holy Spirit, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. If you are not a believer, you do not have the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying that's one of the clarifying points, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not jump on at times and then jump off therefore leading someone without salvation. No, He comes and dwells. He makes His home within the heart of the believer. And so, He is present always. Therefore, water baptism pictures what the Holy Spirit actually does, cleansing us from the defilement of sin. So again, if I may go back to the the first point, we, we see, we witness a baptism, And in that baptism, we see imagery conveying the truth of the blood of Jesus cleansing from sin. And we see in that baptism the work of the Holy Spirit. That water baptism is signifying the work of the Holy Spirit who is cleansing us from the defilement of sin. Thirdly, baptism signifies our union with Christ. Baptism signifies our union with Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we are united with Christ, baptized into Him by His Spirit. Here's the way that Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to, I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 5. So, in Romans chapter 6, just to understand the context, so in Romans chapter 6, that's the one where Paul starts out with a, with a rhetorical question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue sinning that grace may abound? We know the answer to that. He knows the answer to that. He says, of course not. Absolutely not. No way do we continue sinning. Uh, in Christ does not give us a license to sin. In fact, we continue through the chapter and find that being in Christ frees us to the ability to obey. But in that first part, Paul begins to weave in the imagery of baptism. And I think this is oftentimes the first part of chapter 6 that it's very easy to read over. 
uh, because of the way that verse 1 and 2 start out. But in verse 3, Paul introduces this imagery of baptism and he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now, again, be careful here. He is using the word baptism. But he's using the word baptism here figuratively. So he's, he's teaching us with the imagery of baptism. And he's told us something very important, that we have died in Christ, right? Galatians 2.20. It's not I who live, but Christ who, who lives in me, so forth and so on. So he starts out with that, and then he goes to the imagery um, of, of, of bringing in baptism and the imagery of death and life and burial. So Paul goes on to say, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then he goes on to say, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Now, Again, this is, this is Christianity 101. We all understand this, or at least I hope we, hope we do, is the essence of Christianity is Christ lived a perfect life. He died an atoning death. He rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. We await His return. He intercedes, mediates on our behalf, so forth and so on. In Christ, we also by the power of His Holy Spirit, have died to sin. We think about this in terms of our justification, is when we stand before God, we will not stand and say, I did my best to WWJD, right? No, 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 no one will stand before God and say, I did my best to imitate Christ. No, we'll stand before the judgment throne and say, I got nothing but Christ, Christ alone. But in Christ, by virtue of Him, we have died to sin, both its judgment, but also its indwelling power. So also, we have resurrected with Him. And so, Paul's painted all of this, but in doing so, he does it with the imagery of water baptism. We have been baptized into Christ. We were baptized into his death. We were buried with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is why some of you, if, and, and I don't know if, of all of you, but I imagine some of you have witnessed, for example, a, a Baptist baptism. And a lot of times, uh, a Baptist minister will, uh, as they're, they're typically dunked backwards, as they're, they're dunking them backwards, they'll use this terminology. Uh, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. What's well, a quoting directly from this part of, of Romans? And, and there's nothing instantly wrong with that. Uh, in fact, uh, good for them for quoting directly from Romans chapter 6, right? But the idea is that they're wanting to convey, as I understand it, through that, those words is this, is that there is an inseparable union that we enjoy in Christ. 
And baptism gives us a picture. It gives us a glimpse of this. Which leads me to number four is, and this is the one I think that is oftentimes completely missed. Oftentimes we just stop right here. And that is, baptism signifies our union with Christians. Our union with the church. We were baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit. Now, now think about that. If we were, and again, I'm, I'm quoting, maybe I'll just quote the whole verse and then we'll come back. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 13, Paul says, For in one Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. So he's, he's essentially saying everyone. This applies to all who call on the name of the Lord. All were made to drink of one spirit. Um, in literature, we call that mixing your metaphors. <laughs> so he's gone from cleansing to drinking. But nevertheless, it's the Apostle Paul. He can do what he pleases with his metaphors. But then in verse 21, he goes on to say that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The idea is, is that we are baptized into one body, and as such, baptism then signifies that as well. Water baptism signifies the unifying connectedness of the body of Christ. So, let's think through this just a second and what we see. So, when you were baptized, or more than likely uh, for us today, when we witness a baptism within the church, what we see in Scripture is, is that we are to look upon that. In fact, the, the, the catechism says uh, that we are to improve our baptism, which is Old English for saying that we're to make diligent and right use of every time we're present at a baptism. Uh, it is to be part of our teaching and training and our sanctification, so forth and so on. Nevertheless, the point is, is that when we are present in witnessing a baptism, we are to look up there and say, praise God for the cleansing blood of my Lord Jesus Christ. For the sprinkling waters upon the head is a picture of the cleansing that I received through faith in Christ. We're to look to that Baptism, and we are to see the waters as signifying the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon us, confirming, guaranteeing for us our inheritance, so also cleansing us, purifying us by the saturating purity of the Spirit Himself. We are to look upon that baptism, and we are to say, I am this is actually one of the Apostle Paul's most repeated prepositional phrases in the New Testament. In Christ. In Christ. That's a powerful little phrase. When we see a baptism, we are to say, praise God. That water signifies that I am in Christ. And by virtue of being in Christ, that baptism then signifies that I am in the church and I am one with the body of Christ. And so all of these concepts 
are being conveyed through the imagery of baptism. Now, again, I said that I'm going to uh, cover this in, in greater detail, uh, but <clears throat> I will touch on this briefly uh, before I, I stop for any, any questions or comments is in terms of the cleansing imagery of baptism, you cannot derive from the actual Greek word a mode of baptism. And so I will tell you the position uh, that we hold to uh, in, the, in the PCA. Not everyone holds to this, of course, uh, but we understand that baptism may be conveyed through immersion, but it doesn't have to be. Baptism can be conveyed through pouring, which you'll see in some Presbyterian churches, but it doesn't have to be. Baptism may be conveyed through sprinkling, but it doesn't have to be. But in each of these modes, we don't say that, for example, you know, you'll, you'll hear this sometimes, and I, and I love the fact that, that I, lo- I learned uh, this from a, a Baptist Greek professor uh, who, who told me, uh, anyone who tells you that the Greek word baptizo means immersion has not taken Greek two. They just got to Greek one. <laughs> and his, his point was is that you don't discern mode of baptism by that verb because that verb is actually used, for example, in the Septuagint to convey a myriad of different ways of using water. Uh, but the point is, is that not the mode, but the water. The water is essential. We, we don't do milk or champagne baptisms. I'm not, I'm not a car racing fan, but I've seen like snippets where they have the bottle of champagne or something, you know, and they're spraying it everywhere. That's not a baptism. Wine is not used in baptism. Water. Water is used for baptism, and consistently through the Old Testament and the New Testament as, um, oh, good grief. As the Ethiopian said uh, to Philip, I had to pause there for just a second. Sorry about that, Philip. Uh, I had to pause there for a second. Here's, here's water. Shall I not be baptized? And uh, so water is essential to the imagery to it, but not the mode of it. Each of these are signified in the use of that water cleansing. Okay, I've got uh, five minutes for questions on this. Yeah, J.J.? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think. The question was, is, is there a continuity between Jesus' washing of His disciples' feet and, and baptism? And as far as I understand it, there, there is no continuity. Yeah, good question. Yeah, Keith? Well, I'm not going to leave it instantly. I'm going to delve into it even more next week. But go, but, but go ahead. Sure. <laughs> you, you'll be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Like a like a like a woman? Is that what you're? Yeah, 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 yeah. Incidentally, let me say this too. Um, so when you you believe something, you know you're you're taught as a good student. You're also to study what you don't believe, and um, and and to be a good student of both sides. So this is uh, one of the points that our Baptist. Uh, brothers and sisters uh, would point out is that circumcision, uh, they don't argue that circumcision ceased, but they, they would argue that that, that, that that sign and seal of the covenant ceased altogether uh, and that, 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 bapti- that baptism is for men and women across the board while circumcision was only for men passed down through that. Um, so in, in general, and without getting too, too graphic, uh, the, the general idea in, in the Reformed tradition, and I'm, I'm just drawing straight from, uh, from Calvin's Institutes on this. You can find it in other sources as well, is that it was the seed of man that was passed down. That seed came through that male organ, which in fact received that sign and seal of the covenant, which you understand is the covenant of grace, and that seed led in the lineage of the people of Israel to, in fact, uh, our Lord Jesus Himself, who was, in fact, the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham, that in your seed the nations will be blessed. And so it it was through that 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 was carried on. But in Christ, we see that as it is fulfilled, so also applicable to all, and so both men and women receive the sign and seal of baptism in Christ, who is the fulfillment of that covenant. You bet. You bet. Other questions? Yeah. Yeah, Don. Yeah, so Don's conveying one theory on the idea uh, of of it being carried down through through men. Um, that that's instantly not a theory that I hold, but it's definitely a reform theory. And so um, the the struggle that I have with that theory is it, it attaches to the covenant of works, not the covenant of grace. And so that that's where it becomes uh, complex for me, anyway. But it's certainly a theory in the reform tradition. Yeah, JJ. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. We see the the idea of the, and, and that's a, a great point in terms of of the expression of the covenant. Um, for example, when uh, uh, when the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, uh, the, the the people cry out, you know, what, what what must we do to be saved? And 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 he and, and he points them to baptism, 
as a sign and seal, and also for your children. These promises have been made to you and to your children. We see the Apostle Paul then expanding on this. Keep in mind that, and just I know you're all good students of, of your Bibles. Remember this, that when we're walking through the book of Acts, it takes a while for the apostles and the other disciples of Christ to fully grasp that Christ has opened the door to Jew and Gentile alike. And, and we see that at the Jerusalem Council, and they're really wrestling with this. Well, certainly, they're still wrestling with that, this when we get to the time of, of the book of Galatians. Because Paul is pushing back against the Judaizers. The Judaizers are going out and they're saying, no, the sign and seal of God's covenant is circumcision. It hasn't ceased. You have to have it. It is required. And so they're, they're preaching to Gentiles these Jewish ceremonial rites. And Paul comes along and says, you don't get it. You don't get it at all. It is to JJ's point, this is no longer for men, but men and women and their children and all of this, all of this, all of these are receiving this sign of God's covenant of grace, which is a picture of the broadness of the advancement of the gospel throughout the world. So, great point. Yeah, you were going to say something? Okay, all right. Any other questions? We've got 30.2 seconds. <laughs> All right, let me pray for us. Again, next week, uh, we'll look at uh, who should be baptized, and we'll get into some of those uh, more uh, thorny issues on infant baptism. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, as we consider the doctrine of baptism today, we rejoice in what it preaches. Uh, we thank you that we are indeed cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the Holy Spirit does, in fact, do His work and continues to do His work in our sanctification. We thank You that we are indeed in union with Christ, that we are in Christ, and that we are one body in Christ. All of this we thank You because it is only by Your grace, only through Your mercy, that we in fact can even see and receive such significant, such glorious uh, such a glorious sign and seal. We pray that now you would prepare our hearts for worship as we gather. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.